Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Episode 24, I'm Cam Connor, and my son Chris is with me. So I guess over the past three weeks, a lot has happened in the hockey world, specifically the Stanley Cup has been awarded, and you predicted that Vegas would make the playoffs, and they did, they made the finals, and then in uh, the final round, you predicted that Washington would win the Cup, so I would say you did pretty good. Do you have any thoughts over the last, uh, what's happened? Uh, my only thoughts are... Is I wish I wish I wish I would have put some money on this in Vegas. Everybody has thoughts and opinions, and there's various factors why your predictions work or they don't come true. You know, I'd like to see Vegas win the cup just because it's never been done in any sport. You know, if you look on paper and you look how hungry Washington was, this was a different team in the playoffs. Uh, Washington this season versus last season, and I've talked before. When you look at Ovechkin, he is their leader. That's why he's the captain. As I said again, he last year I saw him just sitting at the top of the circle, waiting in the other team's end for someone to pass him the puck, and then he'd shoot it. He wasn't involved. Then you look at a guy like Crosby, and I've used the same example last time. Crosby's in the corners, mucking. He's in front of the net, giving and taking. He's involved in the game. And I saw Ovechkin last year. He was not, and I was disappointed. This season, he's redeemed himself in my eyes. That gentleman showed up every single game, and he played with his heart. He wanted it badly. And, uh, you know, to I wonder what's going to happen with Vegas next year. To, to be able to get into the Stanley Cup Finals is so hard to do. I got to believe that uh, Vegas is going to have a lot harder time moving up in the ranks. Uh, There's no secret anymore. They know it's a good team. There's a lot of energy there. There's skaters. Other teams will counter that. And so uh, I think the best team won. And the other thing about when I look at all the newsreels and the sports highlights is Ovechkin. You know, how do you not love the guy? He was so excited. And you figure after you get the cup and you go home, maybe that wears off. That guy's been pumped up for a week or two now. Every time you see him, he just is happier than hell. And what an ambassador for the game of hockey in Washington and other cities that are watching this. He is so exciting, and that's uh, infectious. You know, you can feel him positive, uh, you know, showing that he's so happy they won the cup after 13 seasons. So... Hats off to Washington Capitals and Ovechkin. And Ovechkin, if you can do this again next year, it could be two years in a row for you. And before we uh, continue, we'll remind you of Dad's social media, which is Cam Connor NHL for Twitter. And uh, you can always send an email at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. And we have one from Tammy, who is in Montreal. And make sure you tell us where you're from. It's interesting to see where all the listeners are coming from, and she wants to know if you have any more Scotty Bowman stories to share. Well, you know, 
after 24 podcasts, it's kind of hard to remember what you told and what you haven't told. But here's one that, uh, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, with Scotty, you can't take away all the Stanley Cups he's got. I mean, obviously, he's done something right. He's a grouchiest coach, but I think that he comes from that era, like Toe Blake kind of passed the torch to him. So as I've mentioned before, when I was in Montreal, I went to visit Toe Blake and, uh, you know, I asked him if he had to be a prick to coach because of the way Bowman was treating me and how he treated others as well. And he said you had to. So I think that accounts for a lot of the negative interaction, if any interaction, that he would have with his players other than when he had to talk to us. But is that is this feeling about him common? You've heard this from a few people. Well, I know when I played, there was things that Bowman told us that if we did this and this on the road trip, this is what he was going to do for us. And so everybody followed the rules. And then when it comes time for us to reap the rewards, uh, Bowman changed his mind on us. And I'm not kidding you. Just about every guy was going to revolt. Except, you know what, if it's not the whole team revolting, then it kind of breaks down. So one or two or three of the guys said, well, you know, he did lie to us, but we're, we're still going to, you know, go back on the airplane. And so we all ended up going back. So that's maybe another story. But, you know, when you ask me about Bowman, one of the things I remember, and he's the only coach that did this, is, what, you know, the coach is your boss. And he can determine whether you get ice time, whether you sit on the bench. So you do what the coach says. So he'd blow the whistle and he on the ice and we'd all skate over and we'd listen to what he had to say. And he would talk so quietly. And when you got 20 guys in the semicircle around him, you know, there's other noises going around uh, in a hockey rink. And uh, he'd be just talking very quietly. And we'd look at each other and we'd say, what did he say? And they'd go, I don't, I don't know. And... What I found out is that Bowman would, on purpose, talk very quietly. And then he'd say, okay, here's the next drill, and this is what you do, and you start from here. Because he wanted to make people listen to him. So what he would do is he'd talk real quietly. And some days you could hear him. Other days you didn't know what he just said to you, what the next drill would, would be. But what would he do? He would turn around and he'd say, you know, to guys like myself or Rick Schertra or or uh, Pierre LaRouche, guys that he, he could pick on with no repercussions. He would say, "Okay, Cam, go, go, start the drill right away." And I go, "Well, I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. What do you mean you didn't hear? I just told you guys." And he would ostracize me and belittle me and yell at me in front of all the other guys. But he couldn't do it to Lafleur or Robinson. He'd never say, okay, Guy, start going. And if, because Guy said, well, we didn't hear you. Oh, well, let me explain it again. But that doesn't how it worked with Bowman. So that's one of the things I remember. Scotty would talk quietly. So you had to listen. And you just prayed that uh, maybe you picked up, but you heard a little bit of what he said, or you knew the drill he wanted you to do. And if he called your name out to start the drill off, uh, uh, at least you could do what he asked you. But he talked too quietly all. And that's what I remember about Bowman. And earlier today, you you were telling me a story about a power outage. Do you want to share that? Yeah, that was uh, 
again, I don't know, I got this black cloud. So in Montreal, when we had charter flights, we were playing, say, Chicago, Detroit, uh, Toronto, some of these cities that are hour, hour and a half flight away, we would have charter flights. And we would go out of, out of a smaller airport. And uh, it was routine. We'd leave by 10 in the morning. So we had gone out on so many of these. So it was routine. You get up at a certain time and you put your, you know, you shower and you shave and you put your suit and tie on and you leave the door at the same time. And you arrived at the airport in plenty of time for your 10 o'clock flight. So this one morning, you know, I'd got up just, I, I set my alarm and got up routine, showered, shaved, getting my suit on. I had the TV on, kind of watching it as I was putting on my tie. And then I remember seeing this show that I liked that came on every day after I would leave for the smaller airport for the charter flights. And I said, oh, maybe they moved this up. That's interesting. And then I said, no, don't tell me. So I got this awful feeling that I've missed my flight. Something was wrong. And I looked at the clock. No, no, I'm, I'm right on time. So I still didn't trust things. So I phoned the operator. And I said, you know, what time is it? Thinking that my clock said 9 o'clock. She said 10 o'clock. So I said, what? So anyways, back in those days, you get your digital alarm clocks that you plug in. There was an exactly a one-hour power shortage um, to my neighborhood. And today's digital alarm clocks, if there's an outage, you see it flashing when you wake up so you know something happened. Back in those days, there was no such mechanism to warn you that there was a power outage. And it was exactly one hour. So anyways, so I've, I've missed my flight. And you don't do that in, in any of the pro sports world. So I'm feeling pretty bad, but, you know, I mean, the truth is the truth. I It wasn't me sleeping in or you partied the night before. And uh, so I phoned the Canadian's office and I asked for the highest ranking individual that was in the office. And it was uh, a guy named Ron Caron, who was head of all our scouting. And so I get him on the phone and I explain what had happened that, uh, you know, power outage, you could even check with the operators or phone the power company and they'll back up my story. And he just said to me, you know what? We had a guy who would uh, pull that kind of crap and uh, we would we sent him to the farm team right away. And so he was so mad at me. And he said, get your butt to, let's say it was in uh, Detroit. He said, get your butt to Detroit. You're paying your own flight and get down there right now. So I went and paid my own flight to Detroit and show up at the rink. And Bowman wouldn't talk to me. I tried to explain what had happened. And they just, not the players, but this coaching staff, Claude Rell, they shunned me and I sat in the stands and, you know, get on the charter on the way home and nobody in the coaching staff would talk to me. But uh, how unfortunate, again, you know, like, there's no need for them to get mad at me because it wasn't anybody's fault. It was a power outage. And, uh, again, you know, I've talked a lot about there's just two levels of players. And if you're a superstar, you don't go through the stuff that I had to go through. So that was something I'm sure that if uh, Larry Robinson, Ken Dryden said this is what happened, they go, oh, okay, well, you know, you're still playing tonight. Get your butt down here. So 
that's another story that happened to me in Montreal. Most unfortunate, but it is what it is. Well, we're actually recording this on Sunday, which is Father's Day. So you might not have an answer for this, but I wondered what it's like to be a dad who has young kids and is playing pro hockey and is traveling and what that impact is like, or maybe there is no impact. Well, you know, Father's Day or no Father's Day, I think, you know, if you're a parent that loves your children, you know, you want to spend as much time with them as possible as an athlete especially hockey, you get the summers to spend the time with your family. And uh, I know you, Chris, I don't know you remember, but when I go on the road, and uh, it, back in those days, we'd be gone one, two, to even three weeks on the road. Um, and I come home, you were so mad at me, you wouldn't look at me. You were pretty upset that your dad bailed on you for two to three weeks. And so you gave me the cold shoulder for a couple hours, and then you'd come around. But it, it, it's special to have children, and when you come off the road, whether it's a good road trip, not so good, the kids don't care. They're just happy to see their father, and that's all you have in life is your family and your children, and uh, coming home to the family, it put it all in perspective. You know, I mean, that, that was my job, and everybody that played any sports, that's their job. But in reality, you know, when my career was over, I remember asking the Rangers if they could, you know, help me out and I had some ideas and if they would maybe give me a little bit of their time to help me get another direction after hockey. And Craig Patrick just said, nope, you're not, we're not doing anything for you. And he blew me off. And so, you know, the reality is, again, you've only got your family pretty well in this world and uh, it's pretty special coming back and seeing the kids just loving you because you're the, you're, they're your dad. So we probably got the most emails that we've received, and that's because of the way we ended the last podcast, which was you saying, if you wanted to hear about the $67 million lawsuit, no, send you no, an give email. Me that one. Really? That's true. So wow. uh, I guess it's time to, to share. But before you do, this will be the last podcast until the next hockey season, although we do have a couple of surprises over the summer. We've confirmed one of your teammates, or ex-teammates, I guess, that uh, we will be talking to at some point. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast, and uh, as soon as a new episode is um, recorded and uploaded, you will get a notification, and don't forget to review the podcast. We really appreciate it on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the podcast. Um, and we will be checking emails, so over the summer think of something let us know uh but it's funny we're gonna leave uh, on on uh this kind of uh, a note of a lawsuit but um it's an interesting story and people said they wanted to hear it so all right 67 million dollar lawsuit i kind of forgot i said that well what it was is i just finished playing hockey with the rangers and i'm out in the real world uh, couple of years have gone by since I played, and uh, I was in the computer consulting business for 25 years. Started in New York City, and then uh, I worked outside. And one of my big clients was IBM, and uh, they had their head office in Armonk, New York, and uh, they had many freestanding buildings with, you know, apple trees in the ground and a long 
quarter mile driveway to get to the facilities. So anyways, I was there doing business till about 6.30 at night, one night. And uh, back in those days, I had a pretty nice Trans Am. And I was driving home from work. Like I said, it was about 6.30 and I'm on a freeway. And it's really in the middle of nowhere. I'm an hour away from home anyways. And so I was anxious to get home. And I was going about 85 miles an hour. There was nobody on the road. And uh, all of a sudden, my car, I step on the gas pedal like I was losing power. And I step on the gas pedal. And I could see the tachometer show me the engine's still running. Uh, but I had no power. So I gradually pulled over to the shoulder right next, as far as I could go, next to a guardrail. And then it started pouring rain. And this was on a Thursday. So I knew if I got out on the side of the highway in a suit and tie, I'm a big guy and I'd get soaking wet trying to hitchhike out of there. And this was before cell phones, guys. So there really wasn't a lot of options. So I said, well, maybe I'll just sit in my vehicle. I rolled the window down and I stuck my thumb out. And a couple guys stopped, and they thought that was pretty creative. And, uh, you know, they gave me a ride uh, to a spot where I phoned the wife up to come and get me. So I get home, and I have a buddy of mine that knew a lot about vehicles. And so I told him what the problem was, and he said, you know what? You might, got a, you might have a transmission leak there. It sounds like you don't have any transmission fluid. So he said... You know, my advice is to grab some transmission fluid and head out to uh, your vehicle the next day and see if that'll get her going. Put some in. Well, the only problem in New York is if your car, and you got a nice car on the side of the road, the odds are you're not going to have any tires and they're going to, somebody's going to strip it. So anyway, so I took my other car to work uh, Friday morning and then I came home and I said to the wife, and, and also I had the, type of uh, like a, like a, a membership an auto membership so that if I ever had a problem like I just did I could call this certain number and they would uh, send a tow truck out at no cost and they tow it to my house but I know that sometimes these towing companies are pretty rough on the vehicle so I said I will do that only after I see if I can get it started so after work I asked the wife, I said, well, I, never, I told her, I said, well, let's go out there and try to see if we can get this thing started. And she said, well, you know, it's Friday after work, rush hour traffic in New York. It's going to be crazy out there. And, and I agreed. So she said, uh, you know, can we go Saturday morning? I said, fine. But I was waiting for my car to be just destroyed on the side of the road. So we went out there first thing Saturday morning, the wife and I. And I went to where my vehicle was, and there was no vehicle there. So I remember the wife saying, you know, you should have had it towed. And yeah, I probably should have. So I phoned the police department. I figured they towed it away. I phoned the police department uh, that was located in the vicinity of where my car was. And they said, oh, you had the black Trans Am. Oh, well, we're sorry to tell you it's totaled. I said, what do you mean? And, and what it was is Friday night... Somebody had left the, the, it was a private in the U.S. Army who was stationed in Germany and he brought back his new bride um, to, I think, meet his folks in Boston. And um, they went to the bar in Boston and he left about 12, 30, 1 o'clock at night. Um, he was going to show her New York City. And I can't remember 
you know, I used to know, but I think it's probably, uh, I'll just say, four or five hour car ride between New York and Boston. So, you know, they'd been drinking and uh, the passenger, which was his new bride, fell asleep. And he was probably an hour and a half away from New York City. Well, there was a witness. There was a three lane. It was six lanes, three going each direction. And uh, this gentleman was driving in the middle lane, and he said it was wet, foggy, like uh, uh, like Saturday, Friday, Friday, Friday night. It was wet and foggy, dark. And all of a sudden, he, they, he saw this car go flying by him. And they also were, he figured it about 85 miles an hour. And it scared him because he didn't see this vehicle really coming, he said. And so he watched it. It went from the fast lane to the middle lane to the outside slower lane. And then, bang, he hit the back of my Trans Am at 85 miles an hour. So what we found out is that, well, he was... He fell asleep, and um, when I went and looked at my vehicle, uh, where they had towed it to, you could see where two heads had hit the inside of the of their vehicle's windshield. If I was in that car, um, I would have been dead 100%. That thing was squished. It was like a compact car. He, he hit it pretty good. Now, his wife, you know, got hurt. And she was in a coma. He just got out. He had a big lump on his head. He was fine. And so, you know, I felt pretty bad about this. So I phoned my insurance company and let them know what happened. And I was with uh, with Allstate, I believe. They said, well, you're going to have to get a hold of this person and get, you know, their driver's license and this and that. So I tracked him down at a hospital. And I really felt bad that I had to bother them when the wife was in a coma. But you know, he was very good about it, and he gave me the information. And, uh, so two or three days later, four days later, I was at work, and my wife phoned me. And uh, somebody had, and I think it's called a subpoena, but I'm not quite sure if that's what you call it, but they delivered like a court document that I was getting sued for $67 million. And uh, she said, are we going to lose our house? Are we going to lose our house? And I said, no, not at all. No, why? She said, well, $67 million. I said, that's just a, a number that the plaintiff's lawyers made up. Don't worry about it. And so she said, okay, good. And I remember getting off the phone going, oh, my God. I said, I was sweating, but I didn't want the wife to know it was pretty serious. And so when I had insurance, uh, when you get home insurance, auto insurance, they asked me, they said, you know, you're a former hockey player. Quite often in the States, athletes are targets for, you know, getting sued. Because, you know, you know, you got some money. And I had an in-ground swimming pool in my backyard. And uh, you know, quite often in the summertime, I go back to Winnipeg for two months and I would put a chain around the gate leading to the backyard. I would put the pool cover on, secure it pretty good. But if somebody was to hop my fence and pull the pool cover back and go for a swim when I wasn't, you know, even in the country, and they drowned, I am legally responsible that I could be sued. So I said, well, I'll take a million dollars insurance. And he said, no, for another $35, you can get what's called an umbrella policy. You'll get another million dollars. So I said, okay, fair enough. Anyway, so when we had this accident, I was confident I've got $2 million in coverage. And so when this head honcho from Hartford, Connecticut called me, 
That's where Allstate's head office was. And, and he had said, okay, you've got a million dollar coverage. I said, no, 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 buddy. I got two million. He goes, I got your policy right here. I said, I'll get my policy. Uh, I said, I got two million. And he, and he said, not at all. So I said, okay, call me back tomorrow. I'll find my policy. So he called back the next day. And he said, okay, I've uh, looked into this. And he said, you actually have $5 million in coverage. He said, we insure trucking companies and their rigs for less than $5 million. What are you doing with $5 million coverage? And I remember saying, I don't know, but I'm pretty happy. And so, make a long story short, um, it was a, I moved back to Canada and they phoned me up. It was trial by jury. And I said, if I was to lose, and okay, here's the thing I was guilty of. In the state of New York, your car is only allowed to be on the side of the road for 24 hours. Mine was there 48 hours. So it was there. That was legitimate. But I thought they would prorate whatever number the judge says. Well, you're, you know, a 20% of fault for the car being there. But they were drinking and driving and they fell asleep and they were speeding. And I thought there'd be some kind of prorating on this. But in the state of New York, you're guilty or you're not guilty. There's no prorating. So I said, if uh, I'm found guilty, can I go to jail? He goes, no, 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 you're okay. So I said, okay, well, I'll come back. And, uh, so just as we're going to go to trial, uh, they settled out of court because the head honcho for Allstate said, well, you know, he's got a big bonus coming up. And if they wheel this lady into the courtroom and she's still, you know, in a coma or hurting bad, that that's going to, you know, um, sway the juror. And what they did is they got six women jurors. And I asked my lawyer, I said, why Why would they get six? And they said, well, ask me if I've ever been in the Nevada desert. And I, and I have, driving to Vegas. And it's just as flat as the table. And what he explained to me is that men don't follow rules as much as women do. So he said, picture yourself driving in the middle of a Nevada desert. And you see, there's no cars. You can look for miles and miles in any direction, and there's no cars. And you see a four-way stop. And you're as a guy, you might slow down and say, well, there's nobody around, and you just slow down. And then you just proceed through the the stop sign. Whereas the woman, in his opinion, the woman, women might say, well, you know, it's a stupid place for a stop sign. But, it, you know, we're supposed to stop, so they they will follow the rules more closely. So they thought that even though these people were, you know, had been drinking, had fallen asleep, were speeding, we had witnesses, you know, just come from the bar, that uh, they would say, you know, these guys are at fault, but, you know, you got to follow the rules, so you're guilty or you're not guilty, and I'd be found guilty. So make a long story short, they took, the insurance company settled for took a number of $750,000 and it's not quite clear what this annuity would pay them every year but they put it down so that they would get X amount every year for 20 years because the woman was expected to have a shorter lifespan um, than, than her husband and they also felt that her husband wouldn't stay with her the whole time that she was like this so there's two things they, they said. Number one, if he ever leaves her, the money stays with the girl and her family because she's going to need the care. And number two, if she was still alive, 
past the 20 years, this annuity keep kept paying. So it was uh, for the 20 years it worked out to they got about a million and a half, which today is probably double or triple, right? So anyway, so I got I, I got sued for 67 million, but I wasn't even in the car. And I feel very bad about it. And uh, it's just unfortunate that that's the way it works. So there's my $67 million lawsuit. So we won't end it on that. We want to say thank you to everyone for listening. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, we're looking forward to the summer break, and I know hockey season will be starting up before we know it. Did you have fun, Dad? <laughs> I was. It was. It was really good. But I would, if anybody cares to share, I would like to know some people's prediction as to who's going to win the Stanley Cup next year. Is is Washington going to? You know, win it two years in a row. Is Pittsburgh going to come back? Is Vegas going to improve? And they're going to, you know, flurry. I can't see him being able to do what he did, you know, the past season. But maybe he can. He was a big reason why that team did well. I mean, is there going to be Toronto Maple Leafs? Or, like, who who's going to show up next year? And I'd love to hear other people's opinion as to who's going to win the cup and why. So if you don't mind doing that, thank you very much. And so everyone have a great summer. And I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. Thank you.